0: Hey friends, Ashton here. Welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. If you remember the beginning of last year, uh, I had read uh, a book that flipped me upside down. It was Meaningful Work by Sean Askenosi. Uh, he came on, we had a beautiful dialogue. Uh, he's the founder, CEO of Askenosi Chocolate. But more than that, when, when I read his book, uh, I, I found a man that, just to be totally honest with you, he, he was on the path, that I longed to be on, or at least he was on the path uh, that I that I felt like I was moving towards. And so uh, his words, his life, his business, uh, really everything about this guy has um, just been a great example of um, discovering the true self and living it out, both in our faith, in our relationships, in our businesses, and so forth. I called him a couple weeks ago, asked him to come on for 2.0, and he said yes. So with that being said, Sean Askenosi joins us again. Sean, welcome back.
1: Wow, thank you. And a double thank you. I can't believe my name is next to um, Shane Claiborne's, <laughs> and Parker Palmer is only like two names away from me hey. on your yes. email. I'm like, dang. <laughs>
0: hey. I never
1: would have thought that would have happened. No, yeah. it's
0: your spot. You're, <laughs> well, you're in I good company.
1: Know. I don't know. That's pretty... That's heavy water right there. That's that's cool,
0: though. It's been such a joy to have this space and invite people on, like yourself, to uh, share the good work that you're doing in the world and um, reflect on what we're all after, right? Something good, true, and beautiful. Um, For maybe our listeners that weren't here a year ago, we have grown since then. um, How do you introduce yourself and your work in the
1: world? Oh, you know, I... I my current sort of surface identity is that as a as a chocolate maker Um, and but I really would say aspirationally that I'm a joyful participant in the sorrows of the world and that's really where I hope that's where I hope my identities lie and that's of course uh, from Joseph Campbell and that's that's where I that's my aspiration that's your hero's journey yeah that's where I hope I can be on as many days as as I can be, that's where I want to be—a
0: joyful participant in the sorrows of the world. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. When were you able to find that verbiage, speak that that from that? Voice? That
1: you know, of course, um, even before I read Joseph Campbell, I'd heard that quote, and uh, I just I felt like that it really fit me because I'd always been looking for some way to articulate how I felt about this kind of paradox of, of, both, of embracing both sorrow and joy at the same time, and how great joy can come from the deepest sorrows in mm-hmm. our life. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, um, this Joseph Campbell idea is a way for me to kind of articulate that and also uh, understand that it's not a one-time thing. Hmm. it's a it's a It's a practice and it's a an awareness and it's a way of seeing the world, yeah. I think. yeah, no doubt. so good.
0: Well, I know our la- our conversation last year uh, it was probably eighty percent chocolate, twenty percent uh, things we're going to get into today. We're going to flip that today. Um, but before we get into that, I-, I wanted to get a little recap on Askenosi chocolate. I mean, I go to DFW oh. airport. And we've got it in, uh, we've got it there. I'm seeing it all over the place. Um, it's such a beautiful product doing unbelievably amazing things in the world. And you get to do it with your daughter, which has to be a blast. Um, tell me, tell me what's the latest with uh, all things Askenosi chocolate?
1: Uh, the latest is I just got back from the Philippines a, c- a couple of days ago and it was my 41st origin trip, uh, wow. since starting the business. And, and we have a new product that we launched last week. It's an 88% cocoa content bar. Let's we go. call it, yeah, we call it super dark and it just came out. And then a few weeks before that we released a collaboration bar with, uh, Heath ceramics, a really cool ceramics company in San Francisco, uh, been around for a long time. And, um, We have a brand-new school lunch program that we're starting in the Philippines that we uh, launched when I was there a couple of days ago. And uh, we won a good food award um, a few weeks ago uh, in San Francisco for um, one of our chocolate bars, a new one from the Amazon. So a a lot of things swirling around in the world of chocolate for sure.
0: It's not about the chocolate. It's about the chocolate. <laughs>
1: That's exactly right. <laughs> Thank you. If you haven't read the book, that'll
0: make sense. Um, go get the book. Um, so, as I mentioned, kind of in my my uh, shoddy intro there, I stumbled over that a bit. Um, you're a guy I look I look up to. You're. It's like, hey, I want to be like that when I grow up in business, life, relationships, uh, your purpose, uh, the the uh, your discipline. Uh, your routine, just the way you lead yourself has been very, very inspiring. Um, as you reflect on 2018 and move into 2019, I, I, you're a deep well, a deep soul. So I know I can go there with you. What, what did 2018 teach you that maybe you didn't know uh, going into it?
1: I'd say, you know, on the business side, um, and I really mix business and personal life together because, yeah. for an as an entrepreneur, it's all the same for me. It's life. Uh, but I think if I was going to lean toward um, business and what I learned in 2018, it's that um, I my um, sense of my my sense of needing to remain um, under if the best way I can say it under God's wing his protection is was really reaffirmed for me hmm. and what I mean by that is I don't the, the company doesn't make a ton of money I mean we profit um, and we share our profits with farmers around the world and we always have uh, opening our books to them. Uh, but I don't have a huge line of credit. I don't make a ton of money. We don't have very many employees. We've got less than 20 employees. Um, I like it that way. Um, but back in the day, you know, I did make a lot of money mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a lawyer, um, uh, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. And, and so, but what I was really reminded of this past year is that the, a lot of money is not my path. And you, you, might think, well, gosh, Sean, you've been doing this for twelve years, didn't you know that twelve years ago? Yes, I did. But, but what I'm enjoying is, is I like being reminded of it. And the way I'm reminded of it is by recognizing that I cannot be or think of myself as independent. And the and for me to be reminded of it is when I have cash troubles. Um, you know, uh, so if we have cash flow issues which because we don't have a big line of credit we have to be very careful with cash flow and we have to really manage it and forecast it and sometimes I, I think to myself oh man this is really tight especially in the summer when we don't ship a lot of chocolate and sell a lot of chocolate and but it also happens to be a time when I have to pay for a bunch of cocoa beans in advance so farmers can go about their, their harvesting and, and set aside our beans and so when that comes up I, I turned to prayer hmm. and I, when I was younger, I, I was, um, I thought to myself, well, someday, you know, it won't be like this. And in the past couple of years, I've really, um, kind of recognized that this, this isn't a fatalist, um, or pessimistic view on my part. It's a, it's a, an awareness and acceptance of my place. Hmm. I know, I know where I need to be and where I need to be is in, in a almost continual state of need and knowing that I need to be dependent on my faith and the core of my faith to keep me close, you know, and to keep me needing. And for me, that just happens to sometimes have to do with money. The other thing I would say I learned in 2018 on a, on a practice side is I, you know, for a variety of reasons, but my, my meditation practice really deepened uh, in ways that I never thought possible. And uh, it really kind of all started after, um, of all things, a Reiki treatment. I didn't even know what that huh. was. <laughs> and um, and um, a practitioner in Washington, D.C. Um, did that, and it just really seemed to unlock a lot of things for me. Interesting. And then for several months... After that, my meditation—I um, uh, would say meditation and prayer life—really um, just kind of opened up in ways. And it didn't last forever, um, but it was several months long hmm. of of just pretty, pretty wild um, prayer and meditation times that I that I was, um, I was appreciative of and happy to to be a part of.
0: Well, I know you've um, you share in the book about all sorts of different prayer practices: centering prayer, prayer of examine, uh, lectio divina, um, and so forth. Was it was it across the board th- this new experience uh, across all you know practices, or was it in one specific arena?
1: I think one of, one of the um, intentions of all of those prayers, of course, all of them we want, um, divine union with God. Mm -hmm. And that is a place of resting in God's presences. Father Thomas Keating used to say. And, um, so what I found is I, I didn't, I wasn't, um, when this happened to me, I wasn't necessarily practicing one of the, or I wasn't using one of those tools. This was so, um, how can I say, um, the, I could close my eyes and within a matter of seconds be off in another place. Hmm. And in other yeah. words, I didn't have to use any tool. I didn't have to use centering prayer or Lectio Divina or any of that stuff. I closed my eyes, and within a matter of seconds I was gone. And wow. <laughs> your listeners are going to think that I've lost my mind. But I <laughs> no, can't no, no, really explain here. it another way. I can't <laughs> explain it another way. And it, like I said, it kind of happened after um, – this Reiki experience and, um, and it lasted for a few months and it was a, a really amazing experience. Mm-hmm. And, and it, but it wasn't through the use of any particular tool. I've used those tools yeah. for many, many years, but, um, that, that didn't happen here.
0: Well, 2018 so it sounds like contentment, acceptance, um, mm-hmm. Presence, sacrament of the present moment, union—all of those themes kind of weaving through what you just shared. Yeah. Um, beautiful. So, um, as I said, I, I after I had our call last year, I was like, "Man, I wanna, I wanna peel the onion a little bit more with Sean. Um, I know there's more there." And uh, as you kind of conclude the book, you, you you get into a lot of your personal. Um, discipline, some of these you've done for years, uh, your routine, um, the practices you know—that that every day you give yourself to. Um, and I, I just kind of wanted to walk through some of these and, and learn from you, because every one of them uh, some of them I've done, some of them I do every day, some of them I haven't done yet. Uh, but I definitely wanted to just kind of share some of this and have our listeners kind of hear you reflect on uh, some of these practices and disciplines. Um, the first one is basically just solitude. And mm. I'm learning so much uh, about solitude, but I wanted to hear from you. Um, solitude, not so much as like an idea of go out into the woods and, and, and find solitude, more, more of just this, almost like a posture, a, a way of being in the world. I think there was a, uh, a Merton quote that was along the lines of like deepening, a deepening of the present moment, that solitude isn't so much a place that we can go, rather it's something that we can cultivate here and now. Um, talk to me about your experience with solitude.
1: Well, yeah, and that is that's that's a Merton quote, um, I think, from the Sign of Jonas, and um, it um, solitude is both of those things. So solitude can be um, well, one of the ways we can experience solitude is, as you said, out in the woods, and another way we can experience solitude is by a deepening of the present moment, and. And but we know that we can also be out in the woods or on a retreat or in the wilderness and um, be distracted by Instagram Mm -hmm. because we'll probably have a pretty good signal even in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. So there we're not in which case we've we've um, kind of distracted ourselves out of solitude. And so. I think that I th- so I think it's both I think it's both things and I think and, and 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 what I mean by that is the the Merton concept I think can be a little bit squishy because it's hard to understand and especially I think for people who are tiptoeing into this idea of solitude that one of the ways we can we can um, experience the beauty of solitude is by being in a place of solitude. And so the, what I, what I'm saying is there are, there are things that we can do to our environment, which will enhance the likelihood of solitude. So if we go somewhere, uh, maybe it's out in the woods or somewhere where we can't be distracted by technology or where we don't have a signal, which is getting rarer and rarer these days. But, um, and if we maybe even set an intention about what we hope to achieve from the solitude before we go there, then for people who don't, you know, who haven't really experienced what we're talking about, then that's, I think one of the best ways to do it is to, is to kind of bake into the recipe in advance. Oh, this is what solitude um, looks like. And then once somebody kind of has that experience, then the notion, and really, honestly, this is also the, the kind of, Hoped for goal in going on retreats. It's that if if we experience solitude, then the benefit of, of it will be both um, experiencing the present moment and all that it has to offer, and it will also have the benefit of um, something that that present moment and that solitude is something we can take with us Hmm. and we can bring it back so we can bring it back from the wilderness we can bring it back from our time apart and uh same thing with a retreat often the benefits of a retreat are not while you're on the retreat they're you know 90 days later um, when you've brought the retreat home with you yeah and so uh but let's also say that for listeners who think, well, solitude, that's a cool word. You know, I could really, I I could like, I could really like that. And then when you get right up to the point of going to a place of solitude, it's kind of scary. (laughs) Um, and then when you get, when you get there, it's even more scary because there's a lot happening in our minds. The monkey mind can really, um, really be very, very challenging for us. One of the most challenging things of all, I think.
0: And you mentioned that. You, you said, um, you know, solitude being this place that you go to kind of calm the chatter uh, in, in between our ears. Um, I think you wrote, the practice of solitude is a training ground for listening to the voices in your head. And so, yeah, if, if you haven't experienced, uh, if, if you haven't set the intention and acted out on it, and moved into solitude. The first few go arounds, maybe the first hundred go arounds, it is—it feels a little daunting, uh, especially in a world where our phones are always texting and the emails always on fire and the phones always ringing. When when you truly right. carve the space and get quiet, it is a unique human experience these days. Uh, and you kind of—it takes some work getting used to it.
1: It, it takes some work, and depending on what your intention is going into it, like if you have some hoped-for result, that can create a lot of um, yeah, 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 yeah. frustration and dissatisfaction. Yeah, careful with your agendas. A, right, because it may not happen. Yeah. And the thing of it is, too, you know, when, when we're thinking of this, like, when we're thinking of taking a time apart for solitude, um, you know, a lot of the times it's because we're in a place of suffering or we, we need some questions answered and we think, okay, I just need to go spend some time alone with myself and with my thoughts so I can get some clarity. And I think that even that we might be placing too much expectation, Hmm. Um, because I can say being, even me, I've done this for almost 18 years and even me, maybe especially me, because I, I have a chatter mind that it, it can hurt. Mm-hmm. It, it can actually be painful, even sometimes physically painful mm-hmm. because you, you may not sleep very well in solitude um you may not feel rested coming out of a period of solitude and um is
0: that the subconscious that, becoming conscious of course yeah,
1: yeah. and it yeah. won't let you go it yeah. won't let you go and um and so now that sounds like a real bummer, but but the, but but people are like well, great. Why would I ever do that? I'll just you know right. go on vacation. I'll but, stay I mean,
0: here in my head. Thank yeah, you.
1: Right. Yeah. Or yeah. Or I'll 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 be satisfied distracting myself. What would ever be the point of it? Yeah. And the point of it is, of course, you know, it's manifold. But I mean, it could be that there are periods of time when. When it is quite restful mm-hmm. and it can be yeah. very peaceful, yeah. it, but but we have to really just be open, and if we're open to that, then it can happen. Mm-hmm. It can all it, it and yes, it can be a time of clarity, mm-hmm. and um, a, and a time for us to listen and hear the messages that have been trying to get through in our life. All of those things are possible, but this idea, I think, is. Um, better as a practice. And then if you, if you know what it feels like and you're open to it, then I think at the, at another level, we can talk about what Merton was talking about, which Mm -hmm. is this, um, an attitude of solitude, um, in our daily lives. And that, that I think is, um, a whole other level of practice and one that is certainly, we can aspire to.
0: Yeah. I think one thing that helps in, in, as you engage, as you step ankle deep into some of these ideas and practices of solitude is leaving the world of measurement, like leaving efficiency. Is this effective leaving a scorecard? Like, did I win? Did I lose? Did it work? Did it not work? It seems like 99% not of the effectiveness not of the efficiency not of the points that you could gain in solitude 99% of the beauty that s- transpires comes from the simple desire to be there yes. like everything else takes care of itself right. um but if i if i can just have that desire to be there then the work's going to be done to me i don't do anything it's all that's it, a great point you know and i think that it's so hard to in our world to not have a conversation like this and and, and kind of automatically go to well, what's it mean to win here? How do I mm-hmm. how do I get yeah, the ball right. across the finish line in solitude? There is no finish line. There is no ball.
1: <laughs> right, right. Well, and it, like I said, and, and people are sometimes drawn to this because yeah. they think they're going to get answers. Bingo. Yeah. And that's again one of those measuring tools that you're saying to avoid, and I completely agree with you. And I, but I say, um, to people just don't, this doesn't have to be complicated. Just take a walk, Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) you know, just take a walk and leave your phone behind. And the other thing too, is I think because we're in this age of, um, there's, you know, probably, I don't know, 20 meditation apps and mm-hmm. they all measure, oh, you get a badge today because you've meditated five days in a row. <laughs> and, um, and then we judge ourselves by the, uh, as you said, the outcome, and it's maybe not the expected outcome of, of either meditation or prayer or solitude or all the above. And so, but I think it's really, really important, something you said of just, it's We don't have to do the work. The work is done to us. We have to show up. And as long as we are not judging ourselves, not creating this um, world of expectation, I think that it is totally fine and awesome for us to take a walk and for our mind to go a million places. It's fine. It's totally fine. And healthy. Yes. Yes. And it's okay. I, and I, I think, you know, you listen to, to Tara or Jack Cornfield or any of those people. And, and sometimes we place really high expectations on ourselves
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, but it, it doesn't have to be hard. Yeah. It really doesn't. And, and the, but the other thing I think that's important is to not give up, yeah. you know, and, right. and, that, and, and to make it part of your practice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a practice. It's a discipline. Yes. It's not a one and done. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you and I were speaking off the call, but this this book, "The Spirit of Disciplines" by Dallas Willard, I, I just began it. I think it's a a, a beautiful read in conjunction with uh, some of these these dialogues that we're having. Um, well, let's move into this this these uh, personal retreats. Um, mm-hmm. because when I got your email a couple weeks ago, I think you were about to go on one. Um, this is something that you do three, four times a year, I believe. Um, talk to me about your experience with these personal retreats, how they began, uh, how often you do them, and kind of what the your structuring of your time looks like when you're there.
1: The, uh, the way they started was just at Assumption Abbey, a Trappist monastery in southwest Missouri, and uh, it's in the middle of the Mark Twain National Forest, and um, my dad, who died when I was 14, had spent his last night at that Abbey on a men's church retreat. And so it was interesting to me um, as a place to just go see. And um, and so 25 years after he died, I decided to go check it out. And they make fruitcakes, and that's how they support themselves. And and uh, um, so I started going there about 18 years ago. And I went when I went there, I stayed in their guest house. And most monasteries have a guest house because – uh, uh, receiving guests is, um, literally a part of the rule of Benedict. And in fact, they devote an entire chapter to receiving guests because Mm. they believe that guests are truly the visit of Christ. Mm. And so, um, it's, it's quite an experience. And so I did that, um, for years and, um, I went and I, I, I stayed in the guest house and I would follow the divine office, the daily prayer routine of the monks and go to the chapel and start at three 30 in the morning. And, um, and I did, I, I did that for years and I would bring books with me. And, uh, and when I first started going, I'd bring, you know, gosh, 10 or 15 books. Why? Because I didn't want to be alone in my thoughts. And, uh, that's what we were just talking about because I needed books to distract me. And uh, because there's no cell signal out there or anything, so I could at least be distracted by books. Uh, now, I, or more recently, I've gotten to the point where I don't bring any books. I don't even bring the Bible. I know there's going to be a Bible there, and I need to try to um, shed as many um, of those kind of things as possible. And then um, I would say five years ago, I decided to not really go there on retreat as much, um, but become a family brother. So it's kind of like, um, it's, I would say it's not a retreat anymore Mm, in that sense, because now, um, I live with the monks Mm. on their, on the cloistered side of the monastery. So I have my own cell and, um, I, it's not a choice of waking up. Do I want to wake up? at three in the morning to get ready for the three thirty prayer service. And it's, that's it's what happening. you do. Yeah. <laughs> you, you will go, there's a family brother director there, a monk. And so I wake up and I do work with them too. Wow. When I, as a guest, you can do whatever you want. You can walk around the forest, but I, I clean bathrooms or help with the fruitcakes or clean the kitchen or, and so because it's this combination of aura at labora Uh, prayer and work. And that's, that's the balance and rhythm of life at the monastery. And so, but, but so for me now it is, um, and we'll get to this, but in order to become a family brother, I had to write a rule of life, which the abbot needed to approve and the family brother director monks needed to approve. And that's why I did that. And, um, and so there, uh, in fact, when I was set to go a couple of weeks ago, I got a call from my spiritual director and he said, Sean, don't come. This was literally the day before. And he said, don't come. We all have the flu and I don't want you to get sick. And it's just going around the monastery uh, like a wildfire. And so don't do it. And I was really bummed out. And so what I did was, and this is the first time I've ever done this. And my wife was so supportive of this. And I actually wrote a blog post about it because I encourage people to think about this. And what I did is I created my own mini retreat at home for a day. Hmm. And and I say my wife was encouraging me, but we have a very small house. We live in a 1,000-square-foot home. And so, I mean, there's not a lot of privacy, but I have a little tiny little space upstairs. It's kind of a guest bedroom. Um, and I I set my intention for the day. And I did things and had things around me that reminded me of being in the monastery. And so I took a little mini retreat just for the day. And it was amazing, you know, and I went on walks and I wrote in my journal. I prayed and I didn't have to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really, really learned a lot from that. Um, And I was just so happy, you know, that. I was able to do that. And like I said, that my wife supported me in that. And, and you may think, well, that's no big deal. I mean, she's, but it was a big deal because she was there too. And so it meant she had to be quiet, you know? And, and um, so that, but that's, that's how that works for me most recently. And I would say the other thing on retreat even back when I first started, is there's in, in every single monastery in, in, in the world, really, there's a guest master. And that's, this is probably, I would suggest, even true for other monastic faiths, so the Hindu or Buddhist monasteries. And that guest master will, you can make an appointment with them and talk with them about anything, any spiritual challenge you're having or whatever, and take that time on retreat to meditate about that, both before the conversation, after the conversation. And I, I, um, even back in the early days, found that to be really beneficial. And so for me, I picked a monk 18 years ago, kind of asked him if he would be my spiritual director. And I write about him in the book, Father Cyprian. He's been a monk since 1950. Wow. And so— um, literally praying the Psalms every day for that many years. And he's wow. a very educated man. And what I've done on these retreats is I just walk with him, literally, physically take walks uh, down the road. And after 18 years, of, and even now as a family brother, I walk with him. And um, that has been just a, a treasure in my life of, of spending time with him, And just asking him questions, getting some answers. (laughs) Um, I think maybe just just 18 years of asking questions, Mm -hmm. now that I look back on it, has been helpful to me. And I would say the one takeaway that I've had from 18 years, I mean, there are many, and I write about a lot of them in the book, but is, and this, I think your listeners can relate to this, because on my beginning days of my retreats, I I was having some health issues and I think it was just related to stress, but I was having some kind of autoimmune things and fatigue and insomnia and just aches and pains. And I didn't know what was going on. And father Cyprian really taught me about the Paschal mystery Mm -hmm. and the Paschal mystery of, and I'm not Catholic, but it's a Catholic, um, um, idea of the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ, and how we, in our lives, move through our own Paschal mysteries, um, from dark to light and dark again, or this idea of death and resurrection, or valley and mountaintop. And it's that, that has really, really helped me over the years. And to just to be able to talk with someone about that and have somebody listen to me about the pain of the Paschal mystery and the challenge of it. And to know that even when I come out of the Paschal mystery, that it's going to happen again Mm -hmm. and again and again and again. And so I think that's one of the big things that I've taken away from these retreats, but anybody could do them and you don't have to be a Catholic or even a Christian.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What a gift. I love it. Um, and so you mentioned, uh, this rule of life that I think um, really kind of stems out from this brotherhood that you're now a part of Um, that, I mean, how, how far back does the order go a thousand plus years? Um, Yeah. The
1: order, the, the, they started in 1098, 1098.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, Unbelievable. So Mm -hmm. um, for, for hundreds now, a thousand years um, the brothers of this order have all, and I, and I guess they all do this, have written out their order of li- their rule of life.
1: Is that correct? No, 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 and no, okay. no. That, that's for lay people. This is a lay okay. thing. This is a lay okay. thing. And it's okay. actually, um, the rule of Benedict has been governing monasteries for 1500 years. So in 500, roughly 500 AD, Benedict, St. Benedict, um, uh wrote this governing document, which is based on scripture of how monasteries around the world should be governed. And it's an amazing, it's, it's one of the longest uh, running continually used management documents in the world. So you go find Trappist beer in Europe, they're running under the rule of Benedict. My Abbey here Assumption Abbey is governed by the rule of Benedict and it relates to everything as I said earlier about how guests are to be received as to even down to the details of where the abbot will sit in the refectory wow. um, and 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 how during meals there's no talking but someone is reading or you know all of this is and so they live by the rule of Benedict and they, they live by it as a spiritual practice so while there's really practical things in there like you know who does what but it's also a very very spiritual rule and so what lay people decided to do was say under the kind of guidance of a monastery can we lay people have a miniature version of the rule of benedict in our own lives and it's not one that all lay people follow. It's that the lay person will write their own that would be approved by someone at the abbey, whether it's the abbot or a family brother director. And so that's that is how that got started, and that's at least how I've uh, done my rule.
0: Well, wow. well, wow. and so the the rule of life basically takes up, uh, or it's kind of broken down into four parts, prayer, study, recreation, or enjoyment and work. Um, you had to go through multiple drafts of this thing, right? It wasn't just, uh, Mm -hmm. you sketched it out and they Mm -hmm. said, yeah, that's great, Sean. Now, now Mm -hmm. go do it. It, you, this was a, a process of tweaking of, uh, really, really multiple times going back. Um, and I think they were just helping you get to the why of things, honestly. Um, talk, talk, you know, just kind of walk through that scenario for us.
1: The, when I was going there on retreat time and time and time again, and so I started talking with them about becoming a family brother and because I'm a type A, you know, driven dude and that hasn't changed at all. I don't care how many retreats I'm going to go on. I can, then I'm fine with that That's who mm-hmm. I am, but so which, Oh, parenthetically, uh, it, and I talk about this in the book, Tara Brock tells this story about this uh, young monk entering a monastery and he asks the abbot how long it will take for him to have mm-hmm. an encounter with the divine and the the uh, abbot says well you know if you work really hard you know this could really or this could happen in 10 years and the young monk said, well what if I really work really really hard and he yeah. said well I'm sorry for you it's going to be 20 <laughs> and so that's me you know so I wrote I wrote my rule of life and I thinking you know these guys know me I've yeah. been coming here for all these years and when I wrote it, they rejected the first draft, and I wanted to say to myself, you know hey, look, I've written you know briefs to the Supreme Court. I've been, <laughs> do you know who I am? Come on, <laughs> just let me in. I mean I've been you guys know me, but yeah. they didn't. And I yeah. am so happy that they made me, you know they, they whittled it down and they wanted me to truly understand, which I didn't in, yeah. in my first drafts. And yeah. it had to do with this concept of being, and doing, hmm. and it, it was because Father Paul, who was the who still is the family brother director, a monk, he knew me, and he knew that I needed help with that, and I'm so thankful that he didn't just cave yeah. because I was pressuring them to make me. That's even embarrassing as I say it. You know, come on, make me family brother. Just <laughs> get it over with. Um, but but um, and but he really did. He helped hmm. me with that, and I'm so glad that I, you know, was pressured to do it their way.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, I think the one thing that you would encourage our listeners is that um, in a world where we have so many choices and so many options and just the buffet every day that's presented to us, this really, this keeps, uh, this keeps your options pretty narrow, right? Like we always say every yes leads to 99 nos. Like you only have so many yeses you can give in life. And I think this tool has been a really clarifying uh, tool for you and your life and business and so forth
1: it has and i would say that this really dovetails with visioning and writing a vision for our life or for our business and i learned that from ari Weinzweig, the founder uh, co-founder of zingerman's deli and he's written a lot of books on visioning and i would say is the really modern day father of visioning um on for for businesses and hmm. and he's a a good friend and mentor to me. And so I wrote my rule of life as if it was in the future, the way Ari taught me to do and the way I do with, um, you know, school kids in Tanzania. And we use this tool over and over and over again because I was writing it as if, um, it was in the future because it was the way I expected it to be. And, um, so that, but you're right. This, this rule has narrowed things down for me, but at the same time left openings for the possibility of um, for the possibility of change, but also spiritual development, of course, and growth. And as we were talking um, before we, uh, before you pressed record, I think that because you and I live in this age of choice and we have so many options available to us to learn and grow spiritually and to deepen our practice and deepen the relationships that we have around us that sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. And what we tend to do if we have the money and time is pursue all of them. Yeah. And, and of course all of them may very well in their own right be worthy, but we end up weighing ourselves down And, um, we slow ourselves, I think, and, and we, we almost inhibit growth by Mm -hmm. seeking so many of these choices. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would say about this too is, um, look, anyone can write a rule of life. I want to emphasize again, you don't have to be a Christian to write a rule of life. The idea is, can you articulate on paper what your, governing document is in I we pick these areas you could add others or take away prayer study recreation and work and what will your life look like like you know just what what are the anchoring principles that are bigger than you in in your life and then even more particularly how do you, how are you going to live that out in a daily weekly you know monthly way and I th- so I I think it's I think it's a good tool for anyone now, for me, my thing is is that I would I would characterize my rule of life as um, a way for me to articulate a life practice of loving God. Hmm. That's what it is. Boiling it all down, that's that's what this is. It's not how I can be a better person, or it's that's not what it's about. If I'm a better person, great. But that's my core intention is to love God.
0: So that's its main aim. The, the main aim of this, uh, this tool for you is just to point you at that one posture
1: towards loving God. Right. Yeah, that, the whole thing centers around that. So if I truly, if my intention is to see the face of Christ in the people that I meet here on earth day to day, then this rule of life is a way for me to try to make that happen as best I can. Well, well,
0: well, uh, for all of our listeners, uh, a few things I would encourage you to do a, um, get Sean's book, meaningful work. I'm telling you, whether you're in business or not, I I promise you this book will speak to you. Number two, let's get this 88% cocoa bean bar that they just came out with. (laughs) That's gotta be dialed in. Uh, and, and three, get bird's eye view above yourself for 10 minutes, half an hour, an hour, start thinking through these ideas of the rule of life. Um, Sean does a great job of, uh, presenting these ideas in his book, his blog too. He's always reflecting on things like this. And, uh, I can't, I can't say enough good things. Sean, I'm so very grateful for you in my life. I can't, uh, state it enough. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing in the world. And, uh, giving me something to aspire to and, and lighting the way uh, down the path for me.
1: Well, thank you. I'm so happy to talk to you again. And, and uh, it gave me something to look forward to when I had a 40 hour trip back from the Philippines. So <laughs> thank you for the invite. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, the ne- next time I'm doing this in person, I don't know how, right. but we're going to, we're 3.0 is going to be in person. That's how we got it in do the this. Philippines or uh, well, Hey, maybe I need to go to the Philippines maybe uh, that'd be pretty cool now you're talking um all right my friend well again thank you so much and uh we'll chat soon Hey, before you go, don't forget to hit subscribe right there on your phone. That's probably where you're listening. Uh, And if you enjoyed this, would you mind leaving us a review? One of the things that we're wanting to do is get this information out to as many people as we can. And we are finding that uh, when people leave good, true, and beautiful reviews, uh, that helps us get this information out more and more to people all across the world. I do not take it lightly uh, that you invite me to ride shotgun with you in your car Uh, You allow these conversations to be a part of your jogs. You allow these conversations to be a part of the communities and families and businesses that you've been entrusted. Uh, I do not take that lightly at all. And I am thrilled uh, that you have joined us here at this table, at this conversation. There's always a seat left. There's always room for more. Uh, And we are just so grateful for you guys joining us here at Good, True, and Beautiful. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid. Listen to the bluebirds sing and be love.